This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How often do you worry about how you're going to find great people? And then once you find these great people, do you ever worry that a competitor might steal them away from you? How is it that we hold on to our most valuable people so we can continue to build a great company? To answer that question, Russell Pearson. Russell, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here. So that uh, is a $64,000 question with inflation, probably a million-dollar question nowadays. Uh, how do we find them? How do we keep them? How, how do we you know, just kind of lock them in so they can help us build great companies? I mean, every, every single company in the country has this problem. Uh, of course, you're not in our country, just by the way, just so, so everybody knows. And as soon as you start talking, they'll know where you're from. But uh, you know, you're from uh, way, way far across somewhere, the Pacific. Go ahead. Well, funnily enough, when I start talking, if I don't slow down a little bit, people think I'm from Ireland, but I am absolutely from Australia. And um, <laughs> we, we, I think as business owners, uh, executives, managers running businesses, you know, this is not a new problem about how do we find and retain really good people. But one thing's definitely changed, uh, and that is the appetite for employees to have an expectation to stay with one company for their life. That has been a massive change. And it's interesting because it reflects my own background is marketing and sales, right? And so the consumer habits and changes within the consumer landscape have sort of mapped themselves onto uh, the employee landscape as well. And you see very, very similar trends. So I'm more than happy to get deep into the specifics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of it, but well, let, let me know me where you first... want to start. So first thing is uh, you, you draw a close parallel between the sales and marketing process for customers and the uh, relationship with employees. I think most of us business owners think of those things very differently and you think they're pretty similar. So help us with that and then we'll go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the olden days, and I'm not that old to be honest, but let's say like 30 years ago, uh, <laughs> Employee, sorry, not employees. Consumers, consumers would actually have brand loyalty, and they would they would go. This is where I get my shoes, and this is where I get my clothes, and this is where I get my food. And they go to the same place every day, and um, and they just go about their business, uh, usually because of the lack of options, uh, and a lot of that's because of the exposure of communication and the communication revolution that we've gone through. So that was happening there in the consumer space in the. In, employee space, it's been very much the same thing. I'm, I'm choosing to join this company. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a career and the career word's a big one because that's, that's shifted. And now it becomes because of the communication piece, people can see opportunities everywhere. There has never been so much noise, and you will have heard that before and you've probably experienced it, about so many options of what you could do. And so the statistics on, on how often people change jobs or even careers now are up around three to four different careers in a lifetime. And that, that, was, that was not seen before. Now, why is that? Well, there's the attitudes of different generations. We're now talking uh, no longer about Gen Y. Gen Y are in management positions now. Uh, we're, we're looking at uh, Alpha entering the, the workforce. My own daughter's in that space. And 
talking to her about a role or a job she's going to be doing. She's not jumping into the first job. She's she's actually assessing, and this is like a, a teenager starting her first job, low, low dollars, assessing the businesses based off how they fit into her worldview, what are their practices like, everything that she can see openly about them, reviews, what the other employees are talking about, what ex-employees are talking about, uh, and she's really considering who she wants to align with. And so while business has been business for so long, business has become very, very personal. And I'm more than happy to talk you, about You know, <laughs> that, is, um, that is a giant sea change, what you're describing. I, I have not experienced where teenagers looking for their first job are examining companies. I don't disagree that, you, that you're correct. I'm sure that that's happening. But I just remember when I was a kid, it was uh, just, you know, anybody that'll give me some money, I'll work for them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, I think people stayed for their lifetime because they wanted the job security. They wanted to pay off their bills and their house or whatever their responsibilities were so they could have a retirement. And maybe the biggest difference is that instead of people living their life when they turn 65 and finishing off and going to the sunset, maybe they want to live their life the whole way along. Maybe that's kind of a difference in our. I think it is, but the, the the younger groups of people that I'm speaking to, they don't think of. I mean, we never really thought of retirement in that way, but we thought of we, yeah, you know, there was at least a, a worldview that you'd get a good job, you'd get a good career, you'd be able to make enough money to retire. You, know, you might have some children along the way and have a you know, have a nice house. The you know the American dream. But now. That's not the case. After Gen Y, it was very much around how am I going to have an impact on the world? How am I going to change the world? And that was a lot of a decision making process. And now it's like, how does the world fit into me rather than how do I fit into the world? <laughs> and so it is big. And you've seen like big things like the, you know, whether it's true or not, the great resignation with people moving uh, roles, especially after, you know, either downtime during pandemic or remote work and realizing they have options too, even, uh, even after you know, being 50 and above, they've still got options on where they work and how they work. And so if an older generation is having that realisation, the younger ones, you know, they're already there. You know, uh, just sitting here listening to this, what I'm thinking is that uh, the worldview uh, that our folks and we were given, was it was given to us by the corporations who had a self-interest in us working for them for our life, buying a little house, a 30-year mortgage, all these things were kind of organized to, yep. you know, the uh, the workforce that's kind of came to be in the 30s and 40s and, and beyond. And, and all these things, you know, we talk about our trend report, you know, maybe you've seen it. We talk about anachronisms. And maybe this whole view about how jobs work is anachronistic. The whole thing is out of fashion and we need to rethink. I mean, I think a lot of stuff that um, certainly for white collar people that don't have to be uh, physically present in their job, uh, everything could be rethought. And this whole idea of retirement and mortgages and maybe, maybe the whole world needs to be rethought. Kind of weird. Well, it's interesting. My, my um, yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm taking analogies from my own world. But my brother, my younger brother, but he's still in his forties now, um, uh, is the only person I know in that age bracket who has stayed with the same major organization. And that's how, in a large organization, I'm not going to mention it, but in a large organization that has um, uh, international reach, he is 
top executive now and actually looking to take control of an entire company. The um, it's there's no one willing to put that time in <laughs> because they're 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 not looking at achievement in the same way. They're looking at you know it's less about climbing a ladder now, and it's like what are the experiences I'm having along the way, and yeah. how where am I putting my 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 effort, my causes, and my thought to. And there's things you All can right, do. All right, so listen, so so we we pretty much, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. The world is different. Uh, the way that companies have sold us work in the past is not working anymore. The way they've kind of sold us, this is going to be your life plan, uh, you know, uh, is not working anymore. So maybe that all needs to be rethought. So what do companies need to do to respond? Because in the old days, the employee needed the company or they would freak out and not feel secure. Now, maybe they have, I don't know where they get their money from, but they have a lot of options they didn't have before. So what do companies do to grip these people and, and bring them on the team and put their arms around them? Yeah, so probably through the, the 90s and into the 2000s, there was very much this big Simon Sinek version of why. You know, you're, you're painting this why picture for people. Now I'm a little bit cynical of Simon. Um, I'm sure he's a great fella. But the, the, the picture he paints from a corporate point of view, means that we need to be creating some why for the organisation to attract the right people. That was one of his premises. But in doing that, you're really creating an inauthentic why because you're not doing it for yourself as the executive or the, the leadership team. You're doing it to, you know, attract people. So the flip on that is not to have to go to some big, you know, global why, but actually just get very personal with people. And um, the, the there's a big underlying premise behind all marketing and sales, which is no like, and trust. And I will spell no, because people sometimes think it's N-O, but it's K-N-O-W. And the, the no like, and trust idea is that people need to know who you are to have an opportunity to like you. They need to like you at least a little bit to choose you to work with you. And ideally to work with you for a lifetime of business, they need to trust you. So to, to sign long-term uh, engagements. Now, the same thing happens with employees. Now, if they don't know who you are, they're never going to have the opportunity to work with you. If they don't like you, they're not going to choose to work with you. And if they don't trust that you've got something for them or if you've got a pathway for them or that, that you're a great you know, organization to work with, they won't sign the dotted line for a long period of time. So those things are still true and have always been true. But the, here's the difference. In the marketing world, it is now more about not them knowing you, but you knowing them. So do you know your customer? Do you know them intimately, not just the problems and, and challenges they have in the world, but how they choose, why they choose, and all the things in between? With employees, it's exactly the same thing. Do you know these people? Are you having conversations with these people on the way in? Are your employee engagement programs, are your graduate programs, not just educating them about you so they get to know you, but allowing them to share about them so you know them. And once they feel known, once they feel uh, heard, once they feel seen, that's when people start to form attachments. And that's just part of relationship building. It's much easier to like people uh, if they're interested in you, right? And so that's well, the first. You, so you're talking about the companies need to put themselves into the marketplace in a different way so that the prospective employees understand who they are before they ever get there. They know their culture. They know their values. They know something about them. Is that what you're talking about? 
Yeah, and that's what I'm t- talking about. But that's been going on for some time. People, I think, large organisations and good organisations that are that are working well understand that to attract great talent, yeah, you know, at least fifty percent of the things that they're doing in marketing need to be uh, attracting good people. The difference that I'm talking about now is that it's not just about shouting into the abyss so that people can hear you. It's about making the people who are looking at you as a as a prospective employer. Make sure that those people are feeling heard, which is uh, which is the big flip because it's like, all right, you're telling me we need to actually put energy into understanding who this individual is before they come into the company. Yes, and good companies were doing that in the past because they know if they put a bad apple in, <laughs> it wrecks the culture. So, so what's different now from what companies were doing in the past. I mean, they, they would uh, look at resumes and interview people. What, what's different now that, you know, that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so now, now it's about understanding the individual at a personal level, right, rather than a generational level or anything like that. So before you could say, like, these big sweeping statements of, you know, baby boomers are, are hard workers and they're looking for achievement, responsibility and the way forward. Um, uh, Gen Y are looking for a cause to attach themselves. Like you could say those big statements. Uh, but now I think you need to be looking at the individual and having them share something of themselves. So I, I call this um, I call this creating brasberries. <laughs> I probably have to explain that one a little bit. So in our world, uh, there are services we deliver and sometimes those services are a little bit sour. Sometimes people like don't having like to choose those services. Say you're a doctor or an accountant, they're things we have to engage with sometimes. Now, I like berries. This is an aside. I, I, I love eating berries. I like all sorts of food, really. I'm probably a little overweight, to be honest. But the um, I like strawberries and raspberries and blueberries and blackberries and things like that. Now, in Melbourne, uh, which is a pretty big city, but in, in Melbourne, Australia, for some reason, over the last couple of years, the blueberries here, every second punnet has been a little bit sour, right? I don't know why, they just are. And I don't like throwing these things away. So uh, I was having a little berry feast with my partner and uh, and she's like, look, if you don't like it, just throw it away. I'm, I'm not going to do that this time. And so I picked up the blueberry and it's sour. I'm like, what am I going to do with you? And I put it inside the raspberry. Genius, right? <laughs> I ate it and it's a whole new flavor. It's something completely different. You know, the and last I'll- time, the last time that type of combination got put together, we ended up with the Reese's peanut butter cup. And, you know, in a certain way, you might've just invented to come up with a great name. <laughs> well, but you I might've come up with the new thing. I thought that I had. And so I looked up online because, you know, I'm an entrepreneurial type uh, and it's already there. There's literally, you can buy these things. So someone somewhere is taking blueberries and putting them inside raspberries and, and Justin Timberlake of all people is a spokesperson for them. So we'll put that what to the side. Like the blaz? The, the blaz? Bra- <laughs> They're called raspberries, right? Brasberries. Oh, so brasberries. Okay, got it. Got it. smash of a raspberry and a blueberry. It's a raspberry. I'm like, you know what? This is kind of like business where you've got these services that we don't necessarily like having all the time. We've got these uh, uh, jobs that we like most of the time, but not always. Sometimes they're a little bit sour. And so how do we wrap the yummy goodness that is us, which is the raspberry, around these things to make them taste better? 
You know, it's a little bit of uh, sugar makes the medicine go down, so to speak. And I realised that the real way we do it is we start talking about things that we love, things that we love to hate, and look at ways to better challenge ourselves. Now, let me explain. I found out this in probably the small business world where I had uh, business owners burning themselves out because they're going three steps forward, three steps back. They're not making any progress in a year. And they're just doing what their clients tell them to do and they're working with clients that I necessarily love. I'm like, let's just change this around. Like, what is something you just love outside of work? And for me, it's a weird one. It's blacksmithing, right? <laughs> and uh, I love blacksmiths. It's a hobby. I think everyone should have a hobby. But I'm like, all right, well, Someone told me it was like, uh, I think it was horses was one person. Another person likes, you know, running a brewery. They've got their own little private brewery. I said, what if you brought that into your business so that every day when you went to work, you're having a taste of your hobby in the thing that you're doing? They started doing it and they found that it gave energy to their business and they started loving the work, just the general work of what they're doing. And when they loved what they were doing, they were in flow and they got better and they, 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 um, uh, they grew. And so I took that same idea to the businesses that were trying to attract and retain people. I got them to ask their people, what is it that you love? And no, no one had asked these guys before, like, oh, you want to know about me? And I'm not just talking about it once off, I'm talking about semi-regularly. You know, how are your middle managers getting to know these individuals so they know what they love? Maybe they love raspberries. Maybe they love blacksmithing. Maybe they love ant keeping. I don't know. But they've got these hobbies and things that they love and, and allow them to bring that into their world. You know, I don't care if it's screensavers, something on the desk, playful things, sharing about it. You know, what, what this kind of makes me think is, you know, with the advent of the personal computer, the PC, you know, starting in the 80s, things have become more and more about individual people, not about mass so instead of having a broadcast, you have narrow casts. And, yeah. you know, instead of, uh, you know, it just seems like the world's kind of gotten more specific. And maybe this is the ultimate stage of where we are is that, you know, people don't want to be treated like, like a bunch of cattle, like, like we're all the same. They, they want to be recognized as individual. And, uh, you know, the question is, how much should a company cater to individual people? How much should companies focus on individual people? And, you know, before it starts to become too crazy, I mean, because yeah. I think that, you know, we've kind of in the United States, at least we've kind of become a society of the one percent where one percent of the people scream and, and the other ninety nine run around trying to accommodate them. And, and it's sort of a problem. I mean, because our democracy really kind of needs a little bit more buy in than one percent. Absolutely. And you're 100 percent right. The, you know, in a, in a large organization, that sort of change could cost a lot of money could cost a lot of time but it doesn't have to it can be very so, so but where where's the line time. where's the line of you know this is where we should be really interested and in, this is where we need to just think about the company i mean is there a place where is there a set of rules uh it's less rules and less lines and more principles so how do we take a principled approach to it right so if we want to have if we want a way to know our employees then instead of training our middle managers to be presenters which is telling people stuff we can actually train them to be facilitators, which means they actually engage the people around them to actually create the presentation. So that in itself is one really simple thing that you can do instead of doing the training on presentation. So they got this person feeling powerful and telling everyone everything. 
The facilitation, I think, uh, skill is one that is more needed now than ever. And that's one step, especially into an executive world where I think some attention should be spent. So can you give us some of those principles? I mean, can you can you tell us some of the things that we need to be thinking about? Yeah, yeah. So um, again, they are things that map onto marketing and sales as well. But number one is... It's not about you, them knowing you, it's about you knowing them. So if you're, uh, it is more important now for team leaders and middle managers to know their people than for their people to know them. And so the skill that goes with that is one, one easy one is facilitation over presentation. Right? So that's one. The other is don't tell them how. In the old days, it was like, this is how this needs to be done and you need to do it my way. Now it's about explain the problem, communicate the outcome, and have a collaboration to the how. Because there's a there's this trick in partnerships and JV ventures and all these things where if you're creating, let's say, an opportunity for someone to invest in, there's this really nice key and principle, which is leave space for them. Allow them to engage in this thing and put something of themselves in there. So there's at least a tiny bit of ownership. Do you think, uh, I mean, how is that different than what has ever happened before? I mean, hasn't, uh, you know, hasn't it always been that, you know, we're going to, we're going to give you, you know, some, here's some guidance and you figure out the answer or, or were, was the world more heavy handed in the past? You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I'd say it was definitely more heavy handed. I think smart companies have always done done that well, but usually it's been go do this thing rather than collaboration on the on the how to do this thing. So yeah. there's there's this sort know, of balance between support. You know, and, Russell, here, here's the thing. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. I I just I, w- I want to kind of push back because is this just lip service or is this a real thing? I mean, are companies really doing this or are they just kind of going along to kind of make people they're kind of pandering to people saying you know we love you because we know we need to say we love you and you know i mean i mean is it real or or, i mean what give us examples of some companies that are really doing this that where it's working because i to me it sort of seems like um you know it's hard for me to kind of see it yeah 100 and and you and and the example i gave of the simon cynic why is the pandering. It's the, we join us because blah, blah, we're going to tell you good reasons. And the um, what you're seeing now is people leaving businesses in this great resignation because they didn't feel heard, they didn't feel valued, and they're now at this point where they realise that they have choices and they have uh, an ability to move out to the country and work for a company on the other side of the world. So the companies that are doing this well are uh, actually the the middle-sized companies. They're the companies where they understand the value of uh, middle management training, where they understand that it's about conversational skills and it's this horrible soft skills thing. The soft skills are now the skills because we're in this communication world. The, the companies where you're, you're not seeing it, uh, you know, the old Apple example is now sort of gone. 
people are now not looking at Apple as the great uh, <laughs> the great thing to follow because people won't want to follow. They want to join. And so there's organisations like uh, Thank You uh, here uh, in Australia, which has now gone global. They're a social enterprise where, and they've literally got a book that they wrote about their first $500,000. Uh, and now they're a multi, multi-million dollar uh, company. They're like uh, quite large. They've moved into international uh, spaces. And the way they built their entire company was first off a shoestring, but then by realising, by engaging other people to do the work for them, they wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, and so you know, the way uh, they engage people is all written there. Yeah, I, I mean, some some of this resonates really well with me. Some of it really uh, matches kind of how I think. For example, uh, I, I always frame things in vision and cause, cause, vision, mission. I always frame these things. This is what our company is going to do to make the world a better place, and this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to become, and and you know, so I think that. Certain kinds of leaders are very visionary kind of people, and they talk about the future in, a, in, a, in an extraordinary way. And that makes people, you know, it engages them and it brings them on board and it creates a certain amount of excitement. Um, I don't know that every leader has the ability to do that. So if every leader can't do that, and that's what kind of people are looking for, how do people that are not that great at it start doing it so that they can bring people into their world in a, in a really good way? Yeah, the principle is it's not about you as the leader. You know, traditionally, the, the, the way to actually create a community is you've got this visionary leader. Uh, you've got, you know, some followers around you. We won't call them disciples, but you get the gist. Uh, you've got uh, rituals or things that we say around here. There's a place where we come together. And, and, and here's the key that makes a community work. Ways for people to give back to that community. That's the piece that not a lot of people haven't done over the years, and that's what's really showing now is the ability for people to give back. Now, you and I are both from a speaking space, and uh, we've seen the you know one-armed, no-legged person who climbed Everest, and uh, we've seen enough presentations about how they did that. And for some people, that's incredibly inspiring. But for half the audience, they're like, I don't relate to this person at all because that is so outside of my, my, my worldview. I can't connect the dots. And so now it isn't just about this visionary thing for the business. For half your people, it, it probably will be. But for the other half, you just need to connect with their why. What is their simple why for actually getting up every day? How are they actually bringing that to the, to, uh, the workplace? Having your leaders and your managers understand that, you know, John over here is actually trying to fill a bit of a hole in himself and that's why he's trying to fill it with achievement. Well, let's help John on that path, uh, where Mary, it's very much about a uh, family and the ability to, to be flexible in that. So we're not saying bend over backwards, but how do we collaborate with her to make it even better for both of us? It is really in the, the hands of this middle management team. So the, the executives in the old days, that's the, and I know I say the old days a lot, but let's put that to the side. The executives are doing the leadership piece but the middle team is the one that has to be doing the facilitation, the engagement, because that's where the rubber hits the road in the day-to-day -day conversations, in the day-to-day -day actions. So it's training that middle piece that is, is the absolute key, and it's where businesses are really winning now. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, listen, this is, a, uh, this is an interesting perspective, and I think that it, you know, where it all started was that employees and customers are not all that different from each other. And that's really that's really an important and critical point that, that you made right up front. And 
you know, this show, uh, you know, is designed to bring new ideas, different things, but it really, the promise is the inside track, the, the best, smartest, and fastest way to get things done. And, you know, uh, I think your perspective on, on vision and, and team building and kind of getting into the head of the person that you're hiring, just like you would try to do for a customer, uh, that's the inside track. I mean, you talk about the inside track and how to do that. And for that, uh, that makes you an advantage player. So uh, I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your ideas. Uh, these are interesting concepts. Uh, I have to kind of wrap my head around them a little bit more. Uh, I, I have to say, maybe I'm old school and, and I, I think talking to somebody like you makes me kind of realize I'm a little old school. Uh, I think about the world <laughs> well, there's one, one, one final thing there, though, is yeah. the, the, the how long has it been important to train your frontline people? That's all for since the beginning of time. Okay, cool. Now, your frontline people are now the managers of your teams. And you just need to be giving at least equal weighting to your frontline people in a consumer space, to your frontline people inside your business. Yeah, I just wonder how much... Uh you know, uh, how much it's changed, how much authority to give. And, you know, if the world's really, if, if this is really more about nuance or if there's really something new and different going on here and I have to really give it some thought. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, man, well, uh, Russell, thank you for uh, tuning in all the way from Australia and sharing your thoughts and, uh, and ideas. Uh, I appreciate it on behalf of our audience. We appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we will put your comments and your, uh, your contact info in the, uh, in the show notes and, and let people be in touch if they think it's relevant. Yeah, 100%. Thank you very much, Joel, for having right. me on. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Audavita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audavita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.